0: All right, everyone, it is Thursday, February 9th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am Moshe Wanunu,
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. um...
1: (laughs) You got anything for me, Moshe?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We try to have this chit-chat at the top, and I'm like, what are we going to talk about at the top today? Is there anything that's uh, top of mind for you? And I was like, honestly... The last thing I wrote, Jill, uh, today is Volleyball's birthday, which we'll tell you about on this day.
1: I got, nothing I, got n- I got nothing for you.
0: I got nothing. So the Twitter hearing today uh, was interesting and entertaining, and we'll tell you about that as well.
1: All right. Here are the headlines. Rescuers are starting to lose hope of finding survivors as the death toll in the Syria-Turkey earthquakes has now climbed to 12,000. Here in the U.S., Twitter execs went to Congress to answer questions about why they suppressed the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. I see London, I see France. Ukraine's President Zelensky making surprise visits across Europe to ratchet up support for Ukraine. Some new estimates show the U.S. misspent nearly $200 billion in unemployment aid during the pandemic. Disney is the latest company to announce massive layoffs. And everyone out there who shares a Netflix password... Be warned, the company is about to crack down. Plus, Mosh is on this day.
0: A big day for Beatlemania in America, Jill.
1: Okay, let's start with those earthquakes in Syria and Turkey. The death toll has now passed 12,000, and the situation is getting more and more desperate. Turkey's President Erdogan admitting Wednesday that there were problems with his government's initial response as many people felt anger and frustration over the slow arrival of rescue teams, one Turkish woman with a trapped young relative telling the news media, Where is the state? Where have they been for two days? We are begging them. Let us do it. We can get them out. There were similar scenes and complaints in neighboring Syria whose north was also hard hit by Monday's huge quake. Syria's ambassador to the UN admitted that the government had a lack of capabilities and lack of equipment, but blamed this on more than a decade of civil war in his country and Western sanctions. In Syria, the relief effort is complicated by a conflict that has partitioned the nation and wrecked its infrastructure. Turkey is reportedly working on opening two more border gates with Syria to enable the flow of humanitarian aid.
0: Yeah, you have uh, tragedy upon tragedy here because this is a war-torn region with a lot of rebel groups in control, governments in control, conflicts, uh, militants in the region. So it makes the rescue process and the aid process even more complicated. There are search teams that we've told you about in from around the world, including the U.S., that have joined tens of thousands of local emergency personnel. But what we're talking about here is a tragedy of epic proportions, you know, tens of thousands of people injured, tens of thousands of buildings destroyed. So as quickly as they can get to one building, uh, you know, they have hundreds more to get to uh, as they try to save people. And we have been sharing on Instagram some of the videos of people being rescued, which um, are always great to see. Jill, I posted a map on Instagram Wednesday just showing how complex this region is in terms of territorial control. You have Turkey. Then you have Kurdish territory in Turkey. Then you have territory that is controlled by rebels that work with the Turkish government against the Kurds. And then on the Syrian side, you have Islamic militant group control, you have rebel group control as part of that civil war, and then you have Syrian government control. So it is uh, quite a, a piecemeal situation. And in many cases, the sides don't trust each other, and aid isn't getting through. Turkey, of course, is a NATO country. So They are getting uh, more support. They have more allies around the world. Syria, though, is particularly complicated here. You might recall Syrian President Bashar assad who's basically an international pariah for more than a decade now for committing genocide, gassing his own people, atrocities against his own people as he tried to preserve power over the course of the last 10 years, which has basically made... Syria, persona non grata, nobody's helping them out. And so they have very limited relationships around the world at this point. And there are concerns that Assad is going to try to use this tragedy to actually get political advantage, uh, looking to ingratiate himself back into the world. And so the Syrians have appealed to Europe, the US, others for aid to be delivered directly to him for his territory. So far, the US has ruled out working with Syria. No changes in terms of U.S. sanctions on Syria. The U.S. saying they will get aid to Syrians through other avenues. The EU, though, European officials indicated yesterday that they could potentially shift their relationship with Syria because of how big this catastrophe is. And they might consider sending direct aid Assad, The UN, for its part, is preparing a convoy that will cross conflict lines in Syria. That would require a new agreement with Assad's government to let them into rebel-controlled territory. And it's clear across the board here what we're talking about is a multi-year effort, tens of billions of dollars. Jill, at the numbers you mentioned, at least 12,000 dead, and that's expected to go up. It is already the deadliest natural disaster in the world in more than a decade now. That's going back to the Japanese earthquake and tsunami back in 2011 that killed 18,000. Some expect that the death toll here could go up past 20,000. And then uh, recall back in 2010, the earthquake in Haiti killed 220,000 people. Overall, there's a recognition, though, that aid will need to be headed out for a while into the future. And so there's plans in Europe right now to mobilize a donors conference uh, next month.
1: Switching gears back here in D.C., Republicans promised that when they took control of the House, they would launch a slew of investigations. And this week, the House Oversight and Accountability Committee is looking into Twitter's brief suppression of a story about Hunter Biden's laptop back in October of 2020, shortly before the presidential election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. On Wednesday, former Twitter execs told the committee that the company blocked links to the New York Post story in October of 2020 because of similarities to the posting of leaks from hacked Democratic computers before the 2016 election. The executives say hindsight's 2020, and they realized that that 24 hour suppression was a mistake. Let's take a listen.
0: In 2020, Twitter noticed activity related to the laptop that, at first glance, bore a lot of similarities the 2016 Russian hack and leak operation targeting the DNC, and we had to decide what to do. And in that moment, with limited information, Twitter made a mistake. Under the distribution of hacked material policy, the company decided to prevent links to the New York Post stories about the laptop from being shared across the service. Twitter should not have taken action to block the New York Post's reporting. And just 24 hours after doing so, the company acknowledged its error.
1: The Twitter exec saying that they erred because they didn't want to repeat the mistakes of 2016, although Republican lawmakers, they are arguing that Twitter's decision could have swayed the election to Biden instead of Trump. A little reminder, that laptop contains a trove of documents and pictures of Hunter Biden and about Hunter Biden. It was left at a repair shop in 2019. News organizations have since confirmed that that laptop is legitimate.
0: Yeah, the the thing here and Twitter uh, executives have, have acknowledged this for basically going back to late 2020 now that uh, they overreacted and they were learning the lessons from the last election, which is they were concerned that the Russians could be hacking things again and trying to manipulate the election. So they didn't want 2020 to be like 2016. And so they sort of jumped the gun here uh with that temporary ban on the link to the New York Post story that the executives make clear. People could still talk about the story on Twitter. They could still tweet about Hunter Biden, it just they couldn't post the New York Post link uh for a couple days there. And Republicans have jumped on this as a sign of political manipulation. Uh, by tech companies, on behalf of Democrats. And this is something that, you know, as as you've mentioned, they promised to do, and they promised to do more of uh, and go after big tech. A lot of these things have also come to light as Elon Musk took over the company, and he's tried to basically uh, clear out all of their archives and all of the decisions made the last couple of years. So a lot of this is not necessarily new, but Congress is now bringing these people before them uh, to talk about it. In some cases, the hearing yesterday descended into you know, normal congressional shenanigans. Jill, Marjorie Taylor Greene was complaining to them about getting booted off of Twitter um, and, you know, comparing herself to other things. And that sort of uh, turned into a whole issue. And there was one other exchange that a lot of people took note of. I posted this one on Instagram. This is one that Democrats used to argue that Republicans were trying to manipulate Twitter. It turns out the Trump White House, according to documents that have been released, Asked Twitter to take down a Chrissy Teigen tweet, Chrissy Teigen uh, being the uh, <laughs> model, John Legend's wife. She was in a back and forth a couple of years ago with Trump on Twitter. He called her a foul mouthed uh, or something of the like. So then Chrissy Teigen literally tweets back at him. And I will warn you about the language here, but the only reason I will use the language and the term is because it was literally said in a congressional hearing yesterday, everybody. Fair warning on the language here. Hit the 15-second mark if you want to hear this. Chrissy Teigen tweeted at Donald Trump, which is said in a congressional hearing yesterday, he was a pussy-ass bitch. The, apparently, that upset the president. The White House calls Twitter, or sends a memo to Twitter saying, please, the president would like this tweet taken down. Twitter has a whole deliberation over this. They decide to keep that tweet up. Chrissy Teigen reacted to this yesterday, sort of like everything Congress, there's like important issues, and they sort of address them, but then it sort of descends into shenanigans sometimes. Anyway, the larger argument Democrats are making is these allegations that Twitter was, uh, you know, pushing the button for Democrats. They're like, actually, Biden never requested the Hunter Biden story get taken down. That was Twitter's own decision that they admitted to. Uh, In this case, this is evidence of Trump literally asking for things to be taken down. So, um, this is sort of all in the past here on Twitter, but, uh, these are among the issues that Republicans have wanted to have hearings about for a couple of years now.
1: The other point that Democrats were making is that Twitter is a private company, so they can do what they want <laughs> on their site and, and people yeah. have a decision of whether or not they want to subscribe and be a user. And we've seen them since Elon Musk is CEO. He has reinstated Donald Trump, but Donald Trump has chosen not to go on Twitter. He uses true social.
0: Right. Yeah. He has a chance to go back. And and so far, no new tweets from him. But this is an important point. We should all remind everybody, because we often talk about free speech, my First Amendment rights. Your First Amendment rights are yours to say in public or at home or in your business what you want if you own that business, right? Uh, Twitter, as you stated, Facebook, as we know, Google, these are all private companies with their own rules. They can make their own rules. There are no First Amendment rules. At Twitter, Twitter is a private company and they could have an arbitrary rule that you can't say the following word or you can't you know, uh, say the following expression. That's their prerogative. So that is sometimes where this gets mixed up as an issue. Um, but because of Twitter's influence, that is why uh, the political parties get involved here because they're like, we know you're a private company, but you have so much influence on our debate on what's going on in this country. We want you to be fair. And Jill, one final thing I want to mention on this Twitter story that I think is notable from Wednesday's hearings. The former Twitter executives told Congress that they had not been contacted by the FBI to block any links on the Hunter Biden story, that it was Twitter working on its own, that we have learned from some of the leaked documents that Elon Musk has released to journalists in the last couple of months, that there were former FBI and former government officials working within Twitter who had certain sensitivities, uh, but again, officially, The Hunter Biden decision to block the links was a Twitter decision that, again, the executives uh, believe was a total mistake and have said that repeatedly. All right, Jill, before we get to the rest of the day's news, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors this week. Let's start with a game changer in the daily vitamin and supplement space, Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick and lets you get on your day knowing that you've gotten more than 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support your gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, athletic greens is giving mo news listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin d and five free travel packs of age one you can visit athleticgreens.com slash mo news take advantage of this offer while there you can get a monthly subscription that's discounted or just try it for one month again that's athleticgreens.com slash mo news m-o-n-e-w-s for a special deal that will really start to let you take ownership of your health all right, another partner this week I want to tell you about is Apostrophe Skincare. If you're tired of just hearing the solution to great skin is just drinking more water and you're looking for more help, this platform is an incredible resource. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with expert dermatologists to get customized treatment for your skin. It's very convenient. Apostrophe can help you on your road to a solution for a number of things, including adult acne or dark spots. It's simple to use and can be done from home. You answer several questions, snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create an initial customized treatment plan for you. They have a special deal now for the MoNews audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com MoNews using our code, MoNews, simple as that. It's a savings of $15. To get started again, just go to apostrophe.com MoNews. It's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E apostrophe.com slash news and click to get started and you'll get your first visit for only five dollars
1: time now for the speed read from the washington post the u.s government may have misspent roughly 191 billion dollars in pandemic unemployment benefits according to a top federal watchdog who told congress that on wednesday as washington continues to uncover the vast and still growing extent of the waste fraud and abuse targeting coronavirus aid. That new estimate was computed by the Labor Department, and it galvanized House Republicans as they intensified their scrutiny of the roughly $5 trillion in emergency funds approved since the start of the crisis. The Labor Department presenting that info at a hearing Wednesday convened by Representative Jason Smith, a Republican from Missouri. He's the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. He describes the problem plaguing unemployment insurance as the, quote, greatest Theft of taxpayer dollars in American history, he said more oversight is coming saying the new Republican majority is turning on the lights.
0: Yeah, so we've known that there was waste when it comes to the uh, COVID payments. and we thought it was initially 50 billion. then we thought it was 80 billion, then 150 billion. and now we're getting the 200 billion mark as they look at these numbers more and more. But let's backtrack a bit. At the start of the pandemic in 2020, millions of Americans were out of a job. And so Democrats and Republicans approved together an expansion of unemployment benefits because they wanted to prevent a depression. So this started with that first law signed by Trump adding at some point $600 to weekly unemployment checks. But in many cases, they didn't add checks and balances here because for efficiency's sake, they wanted to get the checks out to help the economy. And so a lot of people were able to take advantage of this. And so now the watchdogs of the House Ways and Means Committee, this is a very powerful committee that handles uh, all things taxes and money on the House side, they say so far they still can't quite compute the number on how much of the federal COVID aid was actually subject to fraud and abuse, though this Labor Department number shows that it was even more than we thought, and they continue to investigate all of this. One thing that came up at the hearing they've been talking about for a while, Joe, is that the outdated computer systems at the government are not helping here, uh, at a time where the government was just deluged by claims and benefits, these old computer systems that we see across the government, at the IRS, at um, at all major agencies, hey, we've talked about it, the FAA even, all these older computer systems have not helped here. Um, and so then you had combined, you know, basically a lot of criminality, people taking advantage of the system. Rest assured, this is a story the government is going to stay on top of, we will stay on top of as we seek to look back and see kind of what has unfolded these last three years, especially in those first couple months of the pandemic when the government so urgently wanted to save the economy.
1: I had a follow-up to the State of the Union and one of the most talked about stories of the night. This from The Hill, Mitt Romney says of George Santos, he is a sick puppy, he shouldn't have been there. <laughs> Senator Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah, Told embattled Representative George Santos, a Republican from New York, that he should not have attended the State of the Union address, much less positioned himself near the center of the House aisle to shake hands, slamming the New York Republican as an embarrassment. Romney had a heated encounter with the disgraced first-term lawmaker as he walked down the aisle to take his seat for Biden's address. After the speech, when reporters asked him about it, he said, I don't know the exact words I said. He shouldn't have been there. Look, he is a sick puppy. He shouldn't have been there. Let's take a listen. I didn't expect that he'd be standing there trying to shake hands with every senator (laughs) in the president of the United States. Uh, Given given the fact that he's under ethics investigation, he should be sitting in the back row and saying, quiet, instead of... uh, parading in front of the uh, president and, uh, and, and and people coming into the room. He says he, uh, you know, that he embellished his record. Look, embellishing is saying you got an A when you get an A minus. Lying is saying you you graduated from a college you didn't even attend. And, and he shouldn't be in Congress. And uh, no. they're going to go through the process and hopefully get him out. And uh, but he shouldn't be there. And, and uh, if he had any shame at all, he wouldn't be there. The most not mincing words there at all.
0: No, Romney apparently was really ticked off that he saw Santos, like, trying to greet Kamala Harris as she came in, shaking hands. He's like, what are you doing here? Like, you have no business. You're under multiple investigations. And Mitt Romney, you know, takes umbrage at this stuff. You know, Mitt Romney, one of the only Republicans who has, you know, voted to impeach Trump, right? Like, he wants to feel like he is a fair arbiter, that, you know, he feels that there's still ethics in Washington, and so that has been one of his roles in the US Senate. So when he saw that happening in front of him, it was very evident. And this is one of the fun things to do when you're watching the State of the Union, is watching all the interactions go down. And so this caught a lot of people's attention in the lead up to the speech on Tuesday night, being like, what is going on? <laughs> Romney and Santos are like going at it on the floor. And so Romney was asked about this afterwards. The media was like, you know, following him around, you know, because nobody can get enough of the George Santos story in Washington until he goes away. Meanwhile, Santos, being asked about it, he said in one interview, Jill, uh, he questioned whether Romney is a proper Mormon. He's like, well, he's not a proper Mormon the way he spoke to me. It was really offensive. And then he tweeted at him on Tuesday night, hey, admit Romney, just a reminder that you will never be president. (laughs) Like, he's George Santos arguing like he's in junior high, which, by the way, is ironic because, like, if Romney was like Santos, he would just claim he was president.
1: So I was looking on Twitter for some of the responses and a lot of people writing that maybe they're not the biggest Mitt Romney fans, but they totally agreed with what he was saying to Santos. So I think overwhelmingly he's getting support for this.
0: Yeah, there's not much of uh, people on Team Santos on the Internet or in the real world. Um, Jill, one of my favorite memes last night, The Daily Show, uh, took a screenshot of the two of them interacting and uh it, it said like the caption was like mitt romney saying i'm mitt romney and then santo's responding so am i
1: <laughs> i still think one of the funnier things from from the night which i know that you talked about uh on instagram and also the podcast is the jill biden doug emhoff weird kiss on the list <laughs>
0: Lips. Yeah, is it is it an accidental kiss? Like, was it one of those awkward <laughs> things that like, wait, we miscommunicated on which cheek we we're gonna kiss on, and so we got some lip action. <laughs> but then some people noted that Jill Biden, I think, may have possibly uh kissed Bonnie Raitt on the lips at the Grammy Awards. <laughs> so like What's maybe she just up the, Well, it's just you know what oh, you didn't have one of these people in your family, like older generation that like kiss you on the lips. Like I had a great Uncle Hi, may he rest <laughs> in peace. And Uncle Hi, like would aim for the lips like and so you had to like avoid getting kissed on the lips but i just a question of whether jill just comes from a certain generation of the lip kissing whether it was a miscommunication whether it was a bad angle on the camera we have a lot of takes a lot of hot takes on the um on the kiss scene around the world
1: All right, let's head overseas where Ukraine's President Zelensky made a surprise visit to the UK and then to France. This from the BBC. President Zelensky's surprise visit to the UK began with meetings in Downing Street, after which he addressed a huge crowd of parliamentarians in the historic setting of Westminster Hall. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said nothing is off the table after Zelensky urged the UK to supply Ukraine with fighter jets. Ukraine's president, who is visiting the U.K. for the first time since Russia's invasion, expressed gratitude for the equipment received so far, but he did warn that supplies were running out and this could result in stagnation in the conflict. The U.K. is starting to train Ukrainian forces to fly NATO standard jets. The U.K. is looking at what aircraft they could potentially offer, but emphasized that this is a long-term solution and that training pilots could take years.
0: So Zelensky and the U.K. Prime Minister on Wednesday signed this uh, deal called the London Declaration. That's a statement affirming the partnership. The the U.K. since the beginning of the war, going back now a year, has been a huge ally to Ukraine, going back to the Boris Johnson days. Boris actually was just on Capitol Hill in the U.S. uh, trying to ensure that uh, America stays behind Ukraine, particularly Republicans. Uh, Zelensky, during his visit, also met with King Charles over at Buckingham Palace. And then he went off to Paris. We should note, you know, it's very rare that Zelensky leaves Ukraine. His other major trip that he made was to Washington, the surprise trip that took place just at the end of the year. While in Paris, he'll be meeting with the French President Macron, as well as the German Chancellor. So he's really hitting a lot of the key allies here as they head into a second year of the war. And Russia now begins its offensive. And so uh, Zelensky is worried that uh, support may end, that he might lose his allies as they sort of get tired of the war. And so this trip is very important to reinforce that. Jill, I want to mention one other story while we uh, track things in that region. We got developments on the shootdown of that Malaysia Airlines flight in back in 2014. Uh, many of you may remember that. That was the plane that carried nearly 300 people, uh, the Malaysia Airlines jet that was shot down over eastern Ukraine. Well, Dutch prosecutors on Wednesday said that it is now likely that Russian President Putin signed off on the decision to supply the missiles that took down that plane to the pro-Russian separatists in eastern Ukraine. While the prosecutors believe they have strong indications of Putin's direct role to send the missiles, they say their evidence is not concrete enough yet to start a new prosecution. Keep in mind, there was a separate prosecution in the Netherlands back in November uh, for three individuals, two Russians and Ukrainian separatists, uh, though those individuals, despite being convicted, were never arrested or extradited. This is sort of, Uh, unfortunately the situation because all of those people in the region are not going to be extradited to a uh, court in the netherlands by the way the reason dutch authorities are handling this is because this is where the plane took off from amsterdam to malaysia and then it was shot down over ukraine and so even if they decided to prosecute putin on this putin is not handing himself over to dutch authorities nevertheless they feel obligated to continue this investigation and get to the bottom of it especially since 298 people lost their lives on that plane
1: Just back to Zelensky's visit, it just says something about how much progress has been made by Ukraine, that Zelensky, he visited Washington. He's now, as we mentioned, these are his first trips really out of the country. He's now visiting London, visiting Paris. That is not something that he would do if he felt that this was a very, very dangerous mission. Obviously, they're keeping it a surprise, but I think it speaks to a a much better position that Ukraine is in right now.
0: Yeah, you could totally say that in in a good way, right? That the stalemate means that they're not worried about Kyiv falling tomorrow. Um, At the same time, the reason he's taking these trips is because he's worried uh, that he's potentially losing support. And he wants to ensure that he'll have the arsenal and the weapons to continue to fight back the Russians so they don't gain more of Ukrainian territory. They are running through a lot of bullets, a lot of missiles, and it'll take a lot to keep up this fight against Putin.
1: From CNBC, Disney said Wednesday it's planning to reorganize into three segments while also cutting thousands of jobs and slashing costs. Okay, these are the three divisions. Disney Entertainment, which includes most of its streaming and media operations. An ESPN division that includes the TV network and the ESPN Plus streaming service. And then a Parks, Experiences, and Products unit, Disney needs to show investors it has a plan to make streaming profitable and stop hemorrhaging money. Media companies like Warner Brothers Discovery have been pulling back on content spending and looking to make their streaming businesses profitable. Heightened competition has led to slowing subscriber growth, and companies have been looking to find new avenues of revenue growth. Some, like Disney Plus and Netflix, have added cheaper ad-supported options.
0: So which is the division that Tom Wamsgams gets to run? (laughs)
1: parks right
0: (laughs) parks right he ran parks but i think they're moving him to the tv side i I, when i hear about like a media company with a parks division that's all all i think about is the hbo show succession which by the way has a new season coming out this march which which i am uh waiting for but back to the real world and disney what's interesting here jill is this marks the most significant action so far by bob Iger, the former ceo who has come back There were a lot of high hopes uh, when he returned and took over for Bob Chapek. But he's still dealing with the same situation that Chapek was. And so Iger got out just before COVID. But given everything that was going on with COVID, everything that's going on with sort of um, advertising, the state of streaming, uh, the lack of ability to find growth in this day and age with all the various streamers, um, Iger has the same challenge. And so Iger, unfortunately, had to uh, be the bearer of bad news to a number of the uh, employees of the company just as they were delivering their earnings. so They're looking to get $5 billion in savings here. And Joe, let's go deeper into the cuts. Disney's eliminating 7,000 jobs from its workforce. That is 3% of the company. Keep in mind, they employed 220,000 people as of October, about two-thirds of them here in America, uh, one-third abroad. And so that is the state of play there as far as the job cuts. Uh, Iger also addressed speculation about them possibly spinning out ESPN. There's been a lot of talk about this in the media world, about Disney maybe selling off ESPN. Does it make sense for them to keep it? Especially given that we know people are cutting the cord, cutting cable. You know, everyone who owns cable channels, cable companies these days, um, you know, people aren't long on them. So there's a lot of speculation. Hey, Disney, are you going to sell ESPN to somebody else? And right now he says, and again, take it for what it's worth. It's the public record. And, you know, he might not say otherwise. He says they're not engaged in any conversations to spin off ESPN at the moment. It's been hugely profitable for them for years. But keep in mind, ESPN pays a lot of money to the sports leagues. And they ESPN continues to see less and less viewership. Now, they do have, you know, the streaming side, but it's still not making the money that they used to make at the mothership at cable. So that's another storyline we'll continue to watch.
1: From CNN Money, Google's much-hyped new AI chatbot tool, BARD, which has yet to be released to the public, is already being called out for an inaccurate response that it produced in a demo this week. So Google unveiled BARD as part of this apparent bid to compete with the viral success of Chat GPT, which we've been talking about a lot on this podcast. Chat GPT has been used to generate essays, song lyrics, and responses to questions that one might previously have searched for on Google. So in the demo, a user asks Bard, what new discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope can I tell my nine-year-old about? Bard responds with a series of bullet points, including one that reads, JWST took the very first pictures of a planet outside of our own solar system. However, according to NASA, the first image showing an exoplanet or any planet beyond our solar system was actually taken by the European Southern Observatory's very large telescope nearly two decades ago in 2004. So the blunder just highlights the challenge that Google is facing as it tries to integrate that same type of AI technology that underpins the Microsoft-backed chat GPT into its core search engine.
0: Yeah, you mentioned there Microsoft is heavily invested in ChatGPT. That's the AI platform that's taken the world by storm in the fall. Uh and that's a little crazy, Jill, because you we have all become accustomed these days to trusting Google. I mean, there was a time where we didn't trust Wikipedia, you could trust Google. And if this new Google AI function is getting things wrong, uh, that's certainly not a great rollout here, though Google has been trying to move very quickly here. They're freaked out about ChatGPT, so they've moved up this rollout. They've brought in the founders to help. We've been telling you about this on multiple podcasts. And so they made this move this week uh, to roll things out, just as Microsoft was rolling out its new ChatGPT functionality, Google has made BART available to trusted testers to work through these issues. And that's often how you program things. Mistakes will happen. And so clearly, they need to keep working on their new AI function. I imagine they have a lot of engineers. This is clearly a priority over in Mountain View, California, where Google headquarters is, uh, for them to get this right. The one more thing on that mistake, you know, experts who look at these issues, and especially AI, have warned that these tools could even more quickly spread inaccurate information. And the example you said there uh, sort of reinforces those fears.
1: Oy, that's all I could say. I just feel like we're entering this crazy new world where you've got, where it's just going to be so hard to figure out what's true, what's not true, what's misinformation, what's accurate.
0: Yeah, and for the most part, you know, if you Google, you still have to do your due diligence to see, what sources you're getting the information from, right? Um, Because the algorithm is not always perfect, and sometimes they elevate results that are inaccurate, offensive, uh, discriminatory, uh, a whole variety of things. Uh, For its part, Google said that the mistake uh, highlights the importance of a rigorous testing process that they are engaged in right now.
1: From Axios, Netflix is going to start cracking down on password sharing in four countries. The rules are being rolled out in Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain, and they're meant to help Netflix grow its number of paid subscribers. There are reports from CNBC, by the way, that these similar changes are set to be introduced into the U.S. in March. Netflix saying in a statement today, over 100 million households are sharing accounts impacting our ability to invest in great new TV and films. Netflix says accounts will have a primary location and there will be a monthly fee for extra members on the account. Users will be able to transfer a profile to a new account and keep their personalized recommendations and viewing history.
0: Five years ago this fall, Jill, Netflix put out a famous tweet that said, love is sharing a password. That is where we were in 2017, or at least that's where Netflix was. They embraced it. HBO embraced it. It was all about getting their content out there. We look the other way while you share passwords. Love is sharing a password. But as Netflix and all these other companies, we just came off of the Disney story, uh, are seeing limited growth, limited potential. They're considering a number of avenues to continue to be able to grow um, their revenue, their profits. So in one case, they're adding ads, right? That's a way to make more money. Uh, In another way, they're increasing prices. And now password crackdowns, right? And so password crackdowns will ensure that more people have to subscribe, which then brings in uh, more revenue. In its latest release, Netflix reiterated that the new sharing restrictions will not impact our ability to watch on a new or separate device like a TV at a hotel or a vacation rental. But there's a lot of complexities, you know, when, when last week or the last two weeks, some of these potential password restrictions were leaked. A lot of people freaked out and there were all these scenarios, including teachers who teach... Uh, at at various locations, uh, military families who uh, are constantly moving about. And so Netflix will have to figure out um, how to make this work in various scenarios without losing customers because there's all this competition these days. And if you feel that, you know, Netflix is is getting too expensive or making things too complicated, you know, you might be like, okay, I guess I'll just go down to my Disney Plus account at this point um, and trim streaming service. So we'll watch how this experiment goes abroad and see how it comes to the U.S. in March.
1: Look, it was Reed Hastings, the former CEO and one of the co-founders of the company who put out that tweet and made that comment that he did not mind at all when anybody shared accounts, because the idea was that it was just more eyeballs. And that was what they were trying to get five years ago. And I think that really just points to all of the competition that they now have. In the past few years, almost every single media company has put out their own streamer. And charged for it. So it gets to the point where how many can you afford to
0: buy? And shareholders want to see that growth. They want to see that revenue. And they've maxed out on the number of Americans who can get Netflix. They they hit some numbers during COVID. They didn't project to hit for a couple of years. But when that growth happened so quickly, when the world shut down, Netflix is now sitting here being like, we're maxed out. We have to find new ways to make money and grow numbers to make sure our stock price keeps going up. And, and that's what's happening at, at HQ now at Netflix. All right, that now brings us to On This Day in History, which this week is sponsored by Bolin & Branch Sheets. Bolin & Branch is extending their deal for all of you Mo News listeners. Their sheets are organic cotton. They get softer with every wash, uh, keeping you warm this winter. And right now they're offering all of you 15% off plus free shipping for a limited time with the promo code, mo news that is bull and branch sheets b-o-l-l-a-n-d branch uh we'll have more on how you can get that deal at the end of on this day all right with that we'll start way back in the 1800s on this day in 1895 up in holyoke massachusetts a guy named william morgan invented volleyball volleyball jill officially is 128 years old today he invented it at the ymca He was the director of physical education. And so William Morgan was working on exercise programs for adult men at the time. At the same time, just a few miles away in Springfield, Massachusetts, James Naismith had invented this game called basketball. But the feeling Morgan and a bunch of the uh, people he was working with had was that basketball was way too strenuous for them. And so he wanted to invent a game that was easier on older folk at the time. He called it Mintonette. And then eventually it took on the name volleyball. So happy birthday, volleyball. Julie, you mentioned yesterday you were a uh, high school uh, and college athlete. Was volleyball in the mix for you? <laughs>
1: I shouldn't have said college. <laughs> I okay. went to the, <laughs> I went to Michigan. I definitely was not a college athlete. Um, intramural? Were you, were you playing <laughs> intramural even.
0: sports at Michigan? Okay. Not even.
1: I went maybe to the gym. Went, went for a couple of runs, and and that was about it. Um, in high school, no, I did not play volleyball. In fact, I. It's one of my least favorite sports. It hurts my hands so much. It hurts my arms. I like nukem, which is if you are you familiar at all with nukem.
0: I don't think I've played it since gym class, but I played it like in gym class. Yeah,
1: up. you basically yeah. just throw the ball over and catch it and then you Got throw it. the ball back. So that I was OK with. Volleyball just never was for me.
0: I'm wishing volleyball a happy birthday. We'll make sure, Jill, to find out the date that Newcomb was invented, so we can talk about that (laughs) on the future on this day. All right, let's head into the 20th century now. On this day in 1950, 73 years ago, a senator named Joseph McCarthy, you might be familiar with him, uh, made his first charges against the State Department, saying it was infested with more than 200 communists. It begins the Red Scare, really, in earnest, uh, and the idea of McCarthyism trying to get communists out of the government. Uh, and that would go on for several years there in the early 50s. All right, a couple birthdays today we're celebrating. Uh, Carol King, the singer, is 81 years old. Joe Pesci, the actor, is 80 years old. And Michael B. Jordan is 36.
1: Michael B. Jordan, at 36 years old, he has already been in at least some of my absolute favorite TV series, The Wire, Friday Night Lights, uh, he just has these incredible roles.
0: He's an incredible talent and really prolific. And I can't wait to see, uh, what's ahead in his career. Uh, a couple pop culture items before we finish here with On This Day. On This Day, 59 years ago, 1964, the Beatles played Ed Sullivan. The Ed Sullivan show at the time, watched by 70 plus million Americans. Nearly half of America had their TV on that night. Really in earnest begins Beatlemania. Uh, then two 90s items for you as we do here. In sync released their song God must have spent a little bit more time on you 24 years ago today on this day in 1999 and then if you're a fan of early 90s dance hall music Jill uh on this Woo-hoo! day in <laughs> 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 on this day 32 years ago uh in February of 1991 CNC Music Factory hit number 1 with Everybody Dance Now
1: Everybody Dance Now mm-hmm. 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 Oh, love that song.
0: Jill, there's something to, like, that early 90s sound. And you actually saw, I think recently in the Renaissance album, uh, Beyonce, like, took some of those beats from the early 90s that, like, in Vogue was using, CNC Music Factory, uh, Real McCoy. I mean, this is me sort of middle school, junior high. And they were having these, like, five, six-minute, like, mega dance songs that were just, like, ubiquitous on MTV and I think VH1 at the time.
1: I was just Googling CNC Music Factory. Um, Things That Make You Go, Hmm. Do you remember that song? Mm.
0: Things That Make You Go, Hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Memories.
0: And then Jill, like, in Vogue, like, I rediscovered them recently between, like, Don't Let Go my love and you're never going to get it. Never going to get it. And then like free your mind. Like they, like there was a good little era there in the early nineties.
1: What I always think about with CNC music factory, especially uh, with everybody dance now is the running man. I feel like that was the pinnacle running man era.
0: Pinnacle Running Man, and then like just around that era, you get MC Hammer with Hammer Time and the Hammer Pants. And he yes. was sort of doing the Running Man thing too, right?
1: I'm getting these weird flashbacks to my brother in Z Cavaricis and spiked hair just do- <laughs> doing the <laughs> Running Man <laughs> around my a house. Very,
0: a very niche reference, folks, for those of you that remember that era. Anyway, thank you again to Boland Branch for sponsoring our- on this day, this week. I hope all of you looking for new sheets for yourself or a loved one, head over to bullandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. My wife and I got our first set in the fall. We're getting another set right now. Loving them so far. Again, the deal here for all of you, 15% off one five, fifteen 1-5, 15% off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping with the promo code MONews over at bullandbranch.com, promo code MONews.
1: We want to thank you for listening to the MONews podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow.
0: And don't forget to follow us over on Instagram, uh, over at atmosh, at m-o-s-h-e-h. Where at some point I'll be diving deep into the new season of You, which premieres today on Netflix. Jill, have you been watching You?
1: So I've watched the first three seasons, right? There have been three seasons so far?
0: Yep, yep.
1: Okay, I've watched the first three. I definitely want to watch the fourth. But they have on my Netflix home screen, I guess because I've watched it before, it's Penn Badgley. And I I feel like he looks extra creepy. And he just is permanently on my home screen of Netflix.
0: So he's perfected that creepy look. I mean, his character, this Joe Goldberg. Uh, we're not gonna give anything away, but he's got some sketchiness associated with it. <laughs> if him. you haven't watched <laughs> it, <laughs> if you haven't watched it, it's sketchy. It's a little freaky. This season takes you abroad, and this segment has not been brought to you by Netflix.
1: <laughs> not at all.
0: Not at all. But uh, we're both fans of the show, so I'll be checking that out. So we'll 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 open a discussion on the Instagram thread on that. Thanks everyone for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday, Jill. Bye, everyone.